When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirt Knob. Hey, Jared, how are you? What are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing here? It, it's, it's the night before the night before. <laughs> and half the people are gone, right? Somebody, somebody's got to do it. And my I'm happy my building here. is empty. That parking lot behind me is totally empty. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> everyone's it right on the long travel. I'm I'm grateful I'm here and not at an airport, though yeah. I have to say yeah. that would be challenging. So if we take a look at uh, the action today, um, starting to get quiet, but we did uh, the stocks were able to continue that rally that we've seen. All the U.S. indices higher by about a half to one percent. WTI crude also recovering a bit, seventy three dollars a barrel, and the ten year bond, U.S. Treasury holding steady at about 1.49%. Um, Jared, it's it's been quite a month as we look at the markets. How are you feeling about the markets, about the economy as we, we get ready to wrap up this year? Uh, I'm not feeling really good about 2022. I mean, we were up, I think, 29 in 2020 and 20% this year. Um, I, I, I don't really get the impression that that's sustainable. I mean, in terms of the price action, the last couple of days. I mean, it started with turnaround Tuesday. You know, we had a big turnaround Tuesday. I mean, we like, you know, the price action was very negative last week, but it's like holding a balloon underwater. We've had three consecutive days of rallies. Um, you know, the week around Christmas and New Year's, we always tend to drift higher. It's going to be interesting to see what happens on January 2nd. So you, so you, so you, it sounds like you're, well, it would be hard to to live up to some of the gains, especially in some stocks that we've seen. But do you think it's going to be more? Is it just that year over year comparison, or is it going to be more challenging for other reasons? Well, it's going to be challenging for a couple of reasons. So there's three reasons really. Uh, the first one is the pandemic, and uh, somebody told me this quote the other day. I heard it years ago, but I forgot it. But basically, you want to buy on the sound of the cannons, and you want to sell on the sound of the trumpets, which is really a metaphor for war. Just totally true. When a war starts, you usually want to buy stocks. And when it ends, you want to sell stocks. And if you think about the pandemic, you know, um, all the stimulus that we got be when the pandemic started, you know, that was very bullish for stocks. And if you think, you know, look like the I think the Omicron variant is actually the best thing that could possibly happen where, you know, everybody gets it. Hardly anybody dies. And everybody gets kind of free immunity. Now, there might be another variant, but it seems like the variants are getting less and less potent. So, you know, just pretend six months into 2022 and, you know, COVID is no longer a concern. And I think that's kind of a sell the news event. The second thing is the Fed. Um, I think people are underestimating how hawkish the Fed is. I think people's mm -hmm. expectations around the Fed are really centered around the last three or four years of experience, you know, um, where they were very dovish, but I think the Fed has realized their mistake and they're going to overcompensate to the upside. I do think they hike at least four times next year. 
Uh, I think that the curve is going to invert sometime in the summer, and then the clock starts on how long it is till we have a recession, which could be any time in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and what was the third thing? I don't know, uh, but let, let, let's let's unpack number two. I'm feeling kind yeah. of bummed out from one and two. Uh, so, but you, great point by the way on um, on uh, buy when the when the cannons and, and sell with the trumpets because I feel like there's a lot of enthusiasm about like the reopening trade and you know we're going to be gathering and all the stocks that are tied to it that haven't been able to perform. You bring up a kind of contrary way to look at it that those that those gains have already been had um, and that and that that's priced in already, it sounds like you're saying. Well, I mean, if you look at like the reopening trade as a factor, like that factor might work in the first half of next year relative to the rest of the market. Um, and, the, and the other thing, to, the other counterpoint to this is, is that even though the index was up 20 percent this year, you know, you know, most of the stocks were down. You know, I mean, it's actually. Yeah. It's been a very tough market for most of the market, with the exception of a handful of stocks, which dominate the index. So, you know, if you look back at 2021, it actually wasn't that great of a year unless you owned Apple, Microsoft, et cetera, you know. Um, so, yeah, I do think I do think that the end of the pandemic is, is going to be. Very, oh, and I remember the third thing. Um, the third thing is the election. And, um, you know, mm -hmm. if the election were held today, the midterm elections, uh, the Republicans would pick up 50 to 60 seats in the House. Uh, they're going to pick up some seats in the Senate. And what you're going to have is a repeat of 2010 and 1994 when Clinton and Obama were president. And in the first midterm election, you had this big Republican swing. And then what you had for the rest of their terms was basically austerity. I mean, you know, Obama has a reputation for being a free spending president, but it was only in the first two years. And in the last six years, you had a deficit to GDP of about 2%. So what could happen is that a lot of that fiscal stimulus, you know, up to three trillion just disappears. And, you know, we start running very small deficits and GDP drops by a couple of percent. So that could happen. Yeah. And that would be so then you'd be in a situation going back to your point, too, where you've got that happening at the same time that you've got the Fed aggressively chasing inflation. Yeah, th that's why I'm worried about 2022. You just picked up on it. Yeah. So. Do you think that the Fed, I mean, you're right that people are used to a different kind of Fed and they were, that was a Fed that really watched what assets did. It's not, you know, technically, I mean, they don't say it's part of their mandate, but when you saw huge wobbles, they, they responded. Are we in a different environment now where inflation is the priority and they'll sacrifice the asset markets? Absolutely. I think, I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you know, I don't know if I mentioned it when we were on before, but I've said this, uh, in other venues, you know, the fed, the fed is a, is a government entity and they don't really, they have a P and L, but they don't care about the P and L. What they care about is saving face and not being embarrassed. And they've been very embarrassed by this transitory call. They were forced to admit that it was incorrect. And so they made one type of error and now they've completely done a 180 and they're going to make the other type of error. They're going to tighten too much. And, you know, we, the curve couldn't invert by 50 basis points. Uh, they're going to get aggressive. So, I, I know, it's kind of priced in in the Fed funds market. Mm. It's pricing in like three and a half rate hikes. But what you hear out of a lot of people is that they're like, no, those are too aggressive. That's too aggressive. The Fed's going to hike one time, two times. No, I, I really I don't think that's the case.
Does that mean you think inflation is 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 here to stay? Because it, you know that that's that's what they're responding to, right? If the Fed is successful in inverting the yield curve and engineering recession, which could happen 2023, maybe then. Um, what you're going to, I mean, growth is going to go negative and inflation is going to drop. Like, mm. you know, you could see CPI go from 6% to 4%. I don't think it goes much below 4 or 5% because I think we've, you know, we've had this change in psychology around inflation. I think people expect higher prices, mm. um, but you could see inflation moderate next year. So a lot of these inflation trades, which by the way, haven't really been working in the last three or four months anyway, it, they might not work in 2022 either. Hmm. And what do you see that's not working? Is it energy? What, what, what do you think about the energy complex? Yeah, energy is a big part of it. Now, the funny thing about energy is that it's turned into a little bit of a cult trade. And I'm going to piss off some people by saying this. But, you know, there's a lot of people on Twitter who are just big time energy bulls. And, um, you know, they were they were caught max long when WTI was at 85 and then it traded down to 63 um, you know, I was part of that trade. You know, I was long energy for a good part of that, and I sold out of it. Um, I'm looking to get back involved uh, in 2022. I think we could see $100 oil in 2022, but uh, I would do it kind of cautiously. I think selling puts on XLE or OIH, uh, selling puts on the energy names, you know, the ball is pretty high. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a pretty good way to get into these positions. You know, if it goes down by 10%, you own it and you're happy. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com. Welcome back to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Let's jump back in and hear the day's top analysis. What, it's interesting. If you think oil is going to go up, I wonder what your take is on the electric vehicle space, because we saw a lot of news in that area today. Once again, Tesla was back up, but, you know, that has its own dynamic with Elon Musk. But we saw Nikola, that that stock take off after they tweeted they sold their first or they delivered rather their first vehicle to a customer. You know, the, talk about cult <laughs> trades. I know. I knew, I knew. I thought you'd like that. There have been a lot of comments on that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the, talk about cult trade. People feel have really strong feelings about this space. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've talked about Ford before in the show. You know, I, I own Ford. It's one of my favorite trades. It's got a beautiful chart. It's really one of the best charts out there. Uh, it's kind of consolidating right now. They got um, 200,000 orders for the F-150 Lightning, and they, they capped it. They capped it at 200,000. They bet the entire company on electric. So when I look at this and I say, well, I can buy Tesla at a trillion market cap or I can buy Ford at an 80 billion market cap. I mean, it seems pretty obvious. Yeah. Do you can can the EV sector, can they, those trades do well and oil go to $100 a barrel? Can those two things happen at the same time? Yeah, that's I don't think that's mutually exclusive. I think they can both happen. Yeah. What do you think is going to drive oil that high? Is it just the underinvestment or, you know, why, why, why so bullish on that call? Yeah, it's kind of a continuation of what happened last year. It was, 
you know, a lot of it's ESG, you know, the mm -hmm. whole constraints trade, which I've talked about before. We've starved the entire sector of capital. I mean, they have to borrow at 10, 11, 12% for these projects. So that's, you know, ESG is continuing. It hasn't really slowed down. There's a little bit less chatter about it, but it, it hasn't slowed down. So I think that's a big part of it. You know, it's interesting. I, Jason, it's interesting to hear you talk about the sort of the culture. We've seen so much of that this year. Jason Buck had a really fascinating conversation today uh, with Ewan Sinclair. He's an expert in options trading and volatility, and they talked about the mentality around trading. Let's have a listen to that short clip. Trading is punk rock, right? There are no rules about you can do this, you can't do this. And I think a lot of people from the fundamental camp are like, well, this is ridiculous, you can't do this, you can't add like a value factor to a, and I'm like, really? Watch me, that's just what I did. And to a lot of the time series guys, they're gonna be like, oh no, you need a Garch model, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I think all that's priced in. I think we're done with that. I'm gonna just apply this other stuff. And I, I, if a lot of people say it's the wrong thing to do, then that's fine because, I mean, I don't need their permission, right? And I think there's probably a much bigger chance of there being more unexplored edge doing it this way. And it seems to be. It seems to be working pretty well. So I think I think all that time series stuff's just picked over. And there's nothing... I think I say right at the start of one of my books, if you're a trader, right, you're not a philosopher. Things don't have to be logically consistent. They don't even have to be, in a scientific sense, true. They just have to work. Fascinating conversation in that, as I mentioned, that a full interview drops today and it is for Plus and Pro, available for Plus and Pro members. Um, Jared, we get a lot of questions about how to think about some trades. You just mentioned that you got out of energy, but you're looking to get back in. How do you, how do you know how to time that? <laughs> I recommend that most people don't try to time it. I recommend that they just, you know, get long and stay long um, because you can really miss out on some games if you if you try to time it. So I'm a trader and this is what I do. And, you know, sometimes I do it unsuccessfully. Mm. Should people, what if any adjustments should people make as they think about their portfolios heading into 22? You just mentioned that you're, you're you have a lot of things you're worried about. Um, you know, how is, how is, is it going to be a lot different? Are we kind of in a different trading environment? How should people think about this year? Well, you know, in a high inflation environment, I, it's not a perfect analog, but, you know, the obvious analog is the 1970s. And if you think about what worked and didn't work in the 1970s, you know, stocks did not work and bonds did not work, but commodities did great. And if you just took that dumb concept and you applied it to the 2020s, I think that's going to work. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I'm kind of kicking myself for not having like a commodity basket, just like index exposure, but a lot of stuff looks really interesting. I mean, if you look at agriculture, there's big shortages of ammonia, fertilizer. Uh, there's going to be less acres planted. Yields are going to be down. You know, so agriculture is, I, I expect, to be bid in 2022. Uh, and, we you know, we were just talking about the EVs. And, mm -hmm. you know, people focus on lithium and cobalt, but also there's a lot of copper that goes into EVs. And, you know, copper is, hasn't been doing great lately. But if you just do the math on the amount of copper that's required to make, you know, the millions of electric vehicles that we're going to be producing, we're going to need a lot more copper. So, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's some real opportunities in the commodity space. Yeah. And that was a question Vass had about the opinion on commodities. 
They were asking for the next three years. Do you do you even look at something with those that kind of time horizon? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at it from a standpoint of asset allocation, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the asset allocation that I like is uh, I call it the awesome portfolio, but it's it's twenty percent stocks, bonds, cash, gold, and real estate. And gold, it, I think we talked about this before, but you can substitute gold for commodities. And I think if you just made some tiny adjustments in those weights, if you had 30% commodities and 10% bonds, uh, that's going to have a big impact on your returns. You mentioned gold. A lot of people, uh, you know, coming on have, we've been getting asked about it, but also saying, gosh, if gold can't get going now, when? I mean, have, have you been frustrated by that? Or what, what, is that something that you still have in your portfolio or are you still positioning? So I had somebody ask me recently, this is a guy who is really heavy into gold. It might even be 100% of his portfolio, and he's, he's all pissed off. And he, he texted me, and he said, what level of inflation do we need to get gold up? And I said, 4%. And he says, is that a joke? Like, it, like are you making fun of me? I'm like, no, actually, that's real. Like, so gold did better when inflation was just beginning to ramp, mm. but before the Fed started to take action. So inflation at 4% is actually better for gold than inflation at 9%. So that's kind of what we're facing. But having said that, you know, I, the way I look at it is, you know, gold performs so, I don't want to say poorly because it actually didn't do that bad, but it's kind of mediocre uh, while inflation was ramping. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think, I, you know, I think, I think the Fed could tighten. I think gold could go up. I mean, just in that clip, you know, we, we uh, you know, we talked about being a philosopher, right, instead of a trader. And you know, you you sort of get stuck to this philosophy like two like two contrary things can happen at the same time. You know, you have to be able to hold two opposing ideas in your head at the same time. So you have to be able to believe that the Fed can tighten and gold can go up. That is possible. Yeah. It's great you point that out. And that's why I asked you about EV and oil, too, because I think people get in, that it has to be a binary choice between one or the other. And as you point out, it doesn't always, especially for some markets that are so cross-current. We have a question um, from Oliver. Uh, Don't you think the Fed is aware of the past history and consequences of Fed rate hikes bringing on a recession, as well as the increase in cost of debt payments? Like, in other words, they can't possibly make the mistake because they've seen what happens. Uh, I think they're, I think they, I, I mean, obviously they know the history, um, but I think their, their thinking is a little bit more short term. And what happened was, is that inflation became a political concern. So, uh, when inflation got high enough, you know, representatives were hearing from their constituents about inflation. You started seeing these polls that inflation was the number one concern. So you have lawmakers who are going to get voted out of office because they are perceived as causing this inflation. You know, I, I mean, there's direct communication between Congress and the Fed. I mean, they, you know, so right now, they're, in the short term, they're focused on the political concerns and doing something about inflation. Uh, I, I don't think they're thinking that far ahead. Yeah. Someone also pointed out recently, you know, in terms of uh, if you're looking at, at, you know, economic growth, absolutely. But if you're looking at asset prices, well, let me ask you the question and I'll, I'll bring up that point. Uh, this is another question. This is from Anthony related to this. Does the Fed have an uncle point for a decline in capital markets? I just don't see them continuing to tighten and hike if the markets are falling. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the hundred thousand dollar question for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. 
I mean, I, I can I can guess that uh, Jay Powell does not have the will to tighten like Volker did. I just don't think he does. Um, so, you know, if stocks go down 20%, do they panic and stop? Maybe. You know, I really don't know what that number is. Yeah, I, I think it is unknowable, right? So the point I was going to make before is that someone brought up the fact that, you know, when you look at stock ownership, um, yes, a lot more people's money in, through 401s is in stocks, but it's not as wide as you might think. But if you look at inflation and, you know, people needing to fill up their cars and going to the food store and seeing those huge prices, like, that affects everyone. So if you have to take those two things into consideration, I think the suggestion was the inflation is, is hitting everyone where an asset decline might hit some people, um, but it's it, it's not everyone if you're looking at the dynamic in the U.S. Do you think that matters? Yeah, I think that's partially true. The other thing to remember about 401ks is that the vast majority of 401k assets are now in target date funds uh, of various maturities. So the, the good news is, is that, you know, some of that money is diversified into bonds, whether people realize it or not. So I don't I don't think it's not like everybody is just like blatantly long stocks. I mean, people do have some diversification in the 401ks. How important is that is diversification as we move into 2022? I mean, so, so as you point out, not everything in the stock market went up. You know, it felt really good when you're looking at the overall indices. Um, but you could have sat in stocks and, and, and rode that if, if you just bought the index. Do, do we have to be is it going to be? more of a stock picker's market next year? Do you have to be diversified? How are you thinking about that? Well, the answer is, in order to achieve real diversification, you need to diversify across asset classes, which was mm -hmm. what I was talking about before with the awesome portfolio. Because a lot of people think, say, okay, I'm gonna build this portfolio, and I have some energy, and I have some healthcare, and I have some tech, and I'm diversified, you know, I have value, and I have growth, and different factors. So I build this diversified portfolio, and then what happens is that the market goes down 30% and everything becomes correlated and it all goes down 30%. So diversification in and of itself is really a terrible risk management strategy. And, it, you know, so you, your options are to diversify across asset classes or to get a hedge, meaning puts in the index or something else to give you something that will explode in value when the market declines that provides a true hedge. You mentioned real estate before, right? How does that work in a rising rate environment? Well, um, theoretically, it shouldn't, um, but I think it will this time, uh, just because of rising property values. Hmm. Um, so I think I, you know, I actually I like a real estate allocation here more than I would in other cycles. Interesting. And is it where, what does that look like? Is it home builders? Is it re, like, where, what kind of real estate holdings do you like, or how do you play that? Well, you know, first of all, like a lot of people have a real estate holding, they have the equity in their house, or maybe yeah. they have a second house. So they do have exposure to real estate. Um, but even just, uh, you know, a re ETF like IYR VNQ or something like that, like, you know, that's that provides just pretty broad based real estate exposure. That's going to be super helpful because pe people wonder about that. We've got, been getting a lot of questions about the home builders. So I think people are looking at real estate, but sort of not sure maybe exactly wh where they want to put their money or how they want to play that. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Let's jump back in and hear the day's top analysis. What, how do you feel about healthcare? That's a that's a huge area. Obviously, it's been much discussed because of what we've seen for COVID. But I think sometimes the conversation doesn't move beyond that. And there's a huge demographic story there. I don't know. What, you have any thoughts about that? Well, if you've been paying any attention to what's been going on in biotech towards the end of the year, it's been a complete disaster. You know, biotech is down. It's recovered a little bit, but at one point it was down 40% from the highs and it was down 29% for the year. That's really, really bad performance. And there was a lot of biotech funds that were just getting carried out. There were some some places that closed up shop. Um, you know, I think, you know, I like to buy stuff that's down. You know, I own some biotech ET- ETFs. And, uh, you know, I'm actually, I'm pretty bullish on healthcare relative to other sectors. I think some of the big farmers have gotten ahead of themselves because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's real opportunities in biotech. Yeah, so much of the attention has kind of been on that COVID story. Um, the biotech, why why are we seeing those? What what, what happened there? Because you know, I, I, I just had a conversation. Sorry to jump in, but I just had a conversation with somebody who um, their, their you know, uh, child suffers from a, a disease and she was meeting with scientists and they're so close to a cure. And you, you're, you're hearing sort of anecdotally all this kind of amazing stuff that's happening, you know, as now they've mapped the genome and the science is, is sort of plugging ahead and making these gains. So what, what, what's the issue with biotech? Uh, I think the clo- I've talked to a lot of people and the closest thing to an answer that I have is that there were a lot of biotech IPOs this year. There were a lot of deals. Uh, there were 91 deals. In an average year, there's 46 biotech deals. Um, it was a little bit frothy. Not all of these, not, not all of these concepts were good. Um, so I think, it, I think it's really just liquidation of some of the weaker ideas. That makes a lot of sense. That's a big, that's a big number. Uh, what so so outside of the some of the big pharma? Are there any trends you're looking at? I think I think in the past you've talked about NVO Novo Nordisk. Is that a name you still like? Yeah, I still own it. It's actually it might be my it, it might be my favorite holding right now. Um, so if you probably if you ever watch like the grandpa shows like Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, um, they have these you know it's you know they're targeting their marketing. They have these commercials for Ozempic, which is a diabetes drug. And Ozempic is a diabetes drug, but it has a side effect of weight loss. Um, and that's made by Novo Nordisk. And Novo Nordisk also made something called Wegovy, which is the exact same drug as Ozempic, and it, it, but, but it's for weight loss. So for Ozempic, it's an off-label use. For Wegovy, it's an on-label use. So Novo came out with this with Wegovy in like September of last year, and it sold out in two weeks. And they they can't keep it in stock. And there's they were supposed to get more in stock in February, but they've been having manufacturing issues. The stock was actually down like eight or nine percent the other day because they can't get their shit together. Like it's it's a complete unforced error. But you know this is a weight loss drug that works. I mean I've you know anecdotally I've heard lots of stories about people who have lost forty to fifty pounds. You know these are people with a BMI over thirty. They're not morbidly obese, but they're you know they're overweight. And they're losing a lot of weight on these drugs and, you know, with minimal side effects. 
Yeah, that, that's that's fantastic. That's that's what I mean about the demographic story. I mean, we know that, like, you know, being overweight in terms of your heart and obesity is an epidemic in the country that loads of people are trying to trying to get their head around and make a change. So something that's targeted at that would seem to me to fall into that sort of demographic. Um, what investors not looking past that, not thinking they're going to resolve that, or is it is it going to be tough? Do you think to resolve that manufacturing issue? Uh, I don't. I don't I really don't have the answer to that question, but I can tell you I'm looking past it. And when I look at the TAM of this drug, I mean, you know, it's potentially 50 to 100 million people in the U.S. and hundreds of millions of people globally. I mean, this is bigger than Pfizer. You know, Pfizer back in like the late 90s went up 3x on Viagra. This is much bigger than Viagra. Yeah, because it, 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 it impacts everyone. And you're talking, you know, huge swaths and internationally, who knows as well. I mean, we are we are the lead on this, but we are we are by no means alone. Um, do you ever do you ever look at this sort of, uh, you know, in, international landscape, Jared, when you're making your decisions? Because we've been talking a lot about the Fed. We potentially have central banks going at different speeds as well, which is also a kind of new wrench in things. Yeah, I can't. I mean, the answer is no, I haven't really been looking at it. Um, I'm very puzzled by the ECB. I mean, I know Lagarde and I know what she's about, but um, to, to not raise rates in this environment is, is, is pretty insane. I just, I can't, I can't figure out Europe. You know, I mean, I, it, there's been multiple attempts. Uh, I mean, European stocks are basically onch over the last 15 years and the valuation, the valuation differential between Europe and the U.S. at this point is just massive. So, I mean, I think that's going to converge at some point, but I'm not smart enough to figure out the timing. Yeah, I've heard some people thinking about increasing their exposure, but then every time people do the timings off and, and they get burned by it, it hasn't really worked out yet, so it makes it tough to do. As, as we sort of wrap up, uh, what do you think? where do you think the U.S. consumer is in all of this? You know, it's been, I mean, people I know are mentally exhausted. You know, they're looking ahead to next year. There's not a lot of clarity on what the economy is going to look like, but we do have a good job market. It seems tight. You know, how are they going to plug into the economy? What are you expecting there? Well, if you look at the consumer confidence numbers, you can see confidence deteriorating when it comes to big ticket purchases, especially cars, uh, just because inflation has taken hold and the price of cars has gone up so much, but also appliances and stuff like that. Um, so it's funny because, you know, we have this divergence between, you know, the economy, which is pretty strong and people's attitudes toward the economy, which are not that great. Um, I mean, the good news is, is that, you know, consumer credit has been going up, um, but it hasn't, you know, we, I don't, I haven't looked at a chart in a while, but I don't believe we've reached the levels in consumer credit before the pandemic mm -hmm. and the pandemic uh, consumer credit contracted a lot. So I still think there's room for people to borrow. I don't think that consumers are significantly over leveraged like they were back in 2006 when the savings rate was 2%. So I think the consumer is, you know, kind of okay, X the inflation stuff. Yeah. Do you, do you, you expect a more aggressive Fed. Um, do you think we're going to get a big drawdown in stocks? Or do you, we have someone asking uh, whether the Dow will ever drop below 30K? DD is asking that. Will it ever drop be, be below 30K again? Yeah, I, I think it could next year. I think that's possible. I mean, the thing to remember about the stock market, it's the economy, we don't have a business cycle like we used to. We used to have this rolling business cycle. You just kind of boom and bust and boom and bust. And because of the monetary policy that we've had in the last 13 years, 
the business cycle that we used to know doesn't exist anymore. What we have is this perpetual boom. And every once in a while, we get a crisis. Okay. So what that means for the distribution of stock prices is that it, it you, generally it looks like 2020. You go up, 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 and then you have a crash. So uh, I think it's I think it's possible that you know the Dow could go below 30,000 next year, and it's also possible that it wouldn't stay down there very long. You know. So, but I do I do expect some kind of shock or crisis uh, in 2022. All right. Well, we will consider ourselves warned. Jared, thank you so much. So much great stuff to think about as we kind of contemplate, have some time over the holidays on what, what we can do to make sure that we keep what we earn this year. So thank you so much for that. Sure. Thank you. And have a fantastic holiday. The Real Vision team wants to wish all of you a healthy, happy ho holiday. Um, the hardworking team here is going to take a much-deserved break starting tomorrow. So no daily show until the new year. We will come on, however, if the market action warrants it. So we will be here for you behind the scenes. So enjoy your time off, and we'll leave you with a word from Ralph Powell on the new Pro Crypto launch. Take care. You know, I'm still totally blown away by the response to the Crypto Pro product. We knew it was going to be a good one and that we all needed it. I didn't realize it was going to be this big. And look, I'm really honored to have you as part of this journey. If you're not part of it yet, by December 23rd, as I said in the last video, is the NFT option and the extra discounted early adopter pricing disappear. So look, if you want to be involved, now's your chance because that NFT gives you a say in the future of the Web3 vision for Real Vision. And that's really important to me. I want the community to help us build this out and we need people like you. That comes with Crypto Insiders and Pro Crypto tier. So look, that NFT is your gateway to the future of Real Vision and you can help us. And uh, you know, I think community is the most important thing as I've been drumming home to everybody. So look, don't miss that chance. And also don't miss the early bird pricing, the early adopters. You guys matter to us. It's been selling like hotcakes, ridiculous. Why are we doing this and what is it? Really, what it is, is we needed a product in crypto that was a grown up, deep dive, intelligent understanding of the space. Because it's not just about charts and price action. It's about truly understanding where we can make money how we can make money and where the future lies, what products are great, what projects are not good, what we should avoid. The knowledge you need here is exponential. And so we need the best people in the world to do it. That's what Delphi are all about. They partnered with us to help all of you, me included, to get up to speed on what's really going on and how best to capitalize these opportunities. And really the product is like Macro Insiders, where we do it for the macro community, all of you investing in various things. And now we include crypto in that, but this is much more in depth. This is like people who really want to know and really want to do it. And it's the same kind of product, numerous things, deep dives, in-focuses, videos, the whole suite, including discourse channels. Delphi are really putting their resources behind this. It's got 70 plus analysts. Anyway, just remember, December 23rd, this is your last chance. That NFT is your gateway, your golden ticket to many things that will be revealed in due course and also being part of this journey. So look, I can't wait to have you as part of this and have a fantastic Christmas, happy holidays and happy new year.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.